0: Patriots and lovers of liberty. This is Jim Cooper, and I'll be your host today for the Holmes Politicast. We have several stories to talk about today. We're going to get right into them in just a moment. Uh, today was a little difficult. I had I was helping with a uh, concrete project. It was quite something. I lifted about 20 bags of 60-pound concrete. I know it's not. Worst thing, what I'm just saying, I'm not used to it. I'm pretty tired now breath, so hopefully it won't show up through this podcast. I won't be yawning and carrying on. I won't pass out from heat exhaustion or anything. Um, we, uh, I wanted to answer one question that I've gotten. And just a reminder, if you guys have any questions you want answered, you can write us on our website, or you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter. For the Homes Politicast, H-O-M-E-S Politicast. If you have any questions you want answered, something you don't understand, or something that you know is confusing to you, or you want addressed, or whatever, just let us know. One thing question that I've had that I got was uh, about the difference between a regular audit on votes and a uh, forensic audit. What is the difference? Well, I did a little research and I found out that a regular audit is to verify whether or not um, the vote was legal. For instance, that there was no um, unregistered voters or illegal voters. Um, You know, so they'll look at the name and like Jim Cooper voted. Yes, he's a registered voter in this area. That is how they would do an audit to see if, if I'm actually a registered voter or if I was just someone who wandered in off the street and decided to vote in this, in this district, a forensic audit checks for fraud. So a forensic audit would go further than just is Jim Cooper a registered voter, but do the, do the handwriting match do, you know, maybe Jim Cooper died in April and he's voting in November, um, you know that kind of thing they'll do a further investigation to make sure there was no fraud not just to make sure that the voters were registered in that district but if there was any fraud that went into it so um so it's a much deeper investigation than just the simple do the do the names match the registered voter yes they do okay that's a that's a that's a valid ballot that's a valid vote this one digs into it finds out who that person is, you know, what their ba- basically what their background is. Are they dead or are they alive? Have they moved since then? Have they, you know, do the handwritings match? Is there any questions about who this person is? So I hope that answers your question. Uh, there's a reason why um, this question was asked, and I'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, as I talk about a trip that uh, I got to see one of the Candidates for governor and it came up there. Let me um continue here. Yahoo has a story. It's actually from the Grand Haven Tribune. But there was an election this week, a primary election, that is leading up to the November general election. And this was for the Grand <laughs> Council and the Board Enlightened Power. Uh, <laughs> Haven, and so um, Uh, So the article is from Yahoo, but it comes from Jared Lietzow of the Grand Haven Tribune. And it says, the results are in for the primary elections for Grand Haven City Council and the Board of Light and Power. There were five candidates running for two open seats on both the BLP and City Council. Voters were asked to pick two and four, with four moving on to the general election on November 2nd and one person being left behind. So, for the BLP, Dale Reinders will not be moving forward to the general election. Out of 3,636 votes, Reinders received 490 votes for a total of 13.5%. Andrea Hendrick, Michael Westbrook, Jerry McCaleb, and Andy Cawthorn will be advancing. Thank you to each person who has supported me and those who took time to vote in this primary, Reinders said. I would also like to thank the people of Grand Haven who have spent time talking to me and helping me learn more about your concerns of the BLP proposed issues. I challenge the new candidates and elected officials to look at all the options for Harbor Island and define the ice melt issues. The future electrical needs of my hometown need to move forward and stay strong. Thank you again for letting me have a platform for the last few months. I have sincerely enjoyed meeting so many of you I will stay engaged as a citizen of Grand Haven. Hendrick received the most votes in the primary with 1,202 for a total of 33.1%. She was followed by Westbrook, who received 718 votes for a total of 19.7%. I am truly thankful to the Grand Haven citizens that trusted me enough to vote for me. This has been a humbling and eye-opening experience I've walked all over this community and experienced Grand Haven in a unique and intimate way, Hendricks said. I've learned so much, and I want to keep learning. This community is more engaged and more informed than I've ever seen. In almost 20 years, I've lived in Grand Haven, and you deserve to have elected officials that truly listen. We now have months before the next vote is cast, but only weeks before the current city council is set to vote on the bonds for Harbor Island. Please stay engaged and show up to the community meetings on August 9th at the Grand Haven Community Center and August 11th at St. Patrick's Family Center. Your voice matters. For the City Council, incumbents Dennis Scott and Mike Dora will be moving on, along with Karen Lowe and Kevin McLaughlin. Timothy Gators Timothy will not move on. He received 280 votes, or just 1.7%, of 3,761 total votes. Thank you all. Thank you to all the voters that came out today. I'm proud that you exercised your rights and voted the way you did. I, I appreciate the support I received, Delter said, Dieter said. The two favorites in this election are highly credentialed Lowe and McLaugh- McLaughlin. Neither are native to the Grand Navy area. Lowe received the most votes, with one thousand one hundred and eighty nine for the for a total of thirty one percent. McLaughlin received 931 votes for a total of 24.8%. Prior to his retirement, Lowe worked as a partner at Price Waterhouse Coopers and was a general manager at IBM. McLaughlin is a retired community and economic development professional who has worked at both the Dick Sporting Goods and the New York Mets. I'm so very grateful for this overwhelming show of support from our community. Thank you to all who have voted for me and congratulations to the other three candidates who will be moving forward to the general election in November, Lowe said. I would also like to acknowledge and thank Mr. Timothy Deiters uh, for his willingness to step forward and serve our community. It takes both bravery and selflessness to put oneself out there in an election, such as this. And as someone told me recently, willingness to serve should always be celebrated. The Ottawa County Elections Office said 2,081 city voters cast ballots in Tuesday's primary. A twenty-two point four percent turnout. So, um, as we get closer to the November election, I'll dig deeper into these issues. We have uh, we have the bond the bond uh, issue about what to do with Harbor Island, and there is um, oh, where is it said? And Reinders also talked about uh, the ice melt issues. I'm not sure what those are but I'll look into it and find out, hopefully for the next show, if not, I'll definitely have information before November so you'll be well informed if you're voting in Grand Haven in November. But congratulations to all those who won the primaries and good luck in November. And we'll see what happens there. Uh, uh, another story I want to talk about was Michigan Capital Confidential and it's well i don't see who it's by it probably tells at the end of the article but uh fewer children in michigan schools but bigger staffs <clears throat> all right the number of children enrolled in michigan's k-12 public schools has fallen in recent years yet school districts have not cut their staffing levels to reflect that decline the number of individuals employed by public school fell 2.3% in 2020 to 2021 from the previous year for a new total of 200,140 full-time jobs. But that figure is still higher than previous years despite ongoing drops in enrollment. The state's definition of school staff combines all teaching positions, including day-to-day substitute teachers, aides, and administrative positions as well as non-instructional jobs. For example, in the 2011-2012 school year, Michigan Public Schools had 196,965 full-time jobs with 1,592,168 students enrolled. By the 2020-2021 school year, the number of employees had risen to 200,000 140 full-time public school staffers, just serving 1,437,612 students, 9% fewer than the decade earlier. The employment data comes from the state of Michigan. Oh, and that is the end of that article. But the next one is not about that, but it also looks interesting. I hadn't planned on reading this, but that other one was so short. Public health officials oppose placing limits on their power. This is from Jamie Hope, and it's actually from a July 30th article, but we'll go ahead and read it. At least one public health administrator and a group that represents others are opposing an initiated law campaign to limit the duration of emergency orders issued by health departments to 28 days, unless they gain the approval of elected officials. By the way, let me just say we touched on this last week, but this is another article about it. The measure would apply to both local health departments and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Ingham County Chief Health Officer Linda Vale says the change would radically shift decision-making authority from public health experts to Lansing politicians and political appointees, resulting in needless illness, suffering, and death, according to the Gongwer News Service. Nick Hess the executive director of the Michigan Association of Local Public Health, said his group opposes the measure. He said, as reported by the MIRS News Services, it requires a public health officer to look at data day after day, he said. To ask for permission from an elected body would make it difficult to act quickly to protect the public health. The language of the petition campaign, which seeks to place the 28-day limit on emergency orders, before the legislature garnered the approval of the state board of canvassers. This means that organizers can start collecting signatures at any time. If they collect signatures exceeding 8% of the number of votes cast in the last election for governor, the measure will be placed before the legislature for an up or down vote within 40 session days. If legislators do not act, the measure goes to the ballot box For voters to decide, the governor has no say in the initiated law process. The Republican-controlled state, House, and Senate are expected to approve the initiated law if it reaches them. The Unlock Michigan coalition behind the effort has already used the initiated law process to repeal the 1945 state emergency powers law that Governor Whitmer used to impose extended COVID lockdowns without legislative approval. The Senate approved the proposal on July 15th, and the House did the same on July 21st. At that point, the 1945 law was effectively removed from the state statute books, where it had remained despite a Supreme Court ruling that it violated the state's constitutional separation of powers provision. The Unlock Michigan Petition states, the current act authorizes the director of the Department of Health and Human Services and local health officials to determine that control of an infectious disease outbreak is necessary to protect the public health and issue emergency orders. This proposal would require determinations to be in writing. It would make an emergency order expire after 28 days, unless the state legislature or local governing body extends it. The Michigan Supreme Court ruled in October 2020 the 1945 Emergency Powers Act, which had allowed Whitmer to impose extended emergency orders without legislative approval, is unconstitutional. Whitmer sidestepped the ruling by having the State Health Department issue essentially the same orders under authority granted in a public health law passed in 1978. <clears throat> the emergency orders imposed by the State Health Department on October 55 remained in effect until June 22nd, 2021, Veiled has not responded to an email seeking comment. So, <clears throat> anyway, that hope, hopefully that gives you a little bit better idea of what's going on there. One thing um, uh, that I need to address real quick Um <clears throat> That uh, it is an absolute, uh, it's absolutely egregious what's going on at Spectrum Health. Um, I've been made aware that Spectrum Health employees are being told that they have to be vaccinated or they will be fired. Now, I know some of you are going to say, but it's a health organization. So, they should be vaccinated. Well, that might be true. That may be true, but what it seems to me that they because there are some vaccinations that are against um, people's moral or or, uh, religious um, there are moral or religious implications for some people. I don't think that it should be required. What I would like to see them do is do what President Biden is doing with federal employees. He's initiated an argument saying he strongly encourages everybody in the federal government to be vaccinated. But if they do not want to be vaccinated for whatever reason, you will be required every two weeks to take a test. Now, I, I believe that the federal government pays for it. I don't think the public has to pay for their own tests. But And then to see if they... contracted the disease if they are then they won't be able to work until they are cleared that seems reasonable to me for for the for the example of spectrum health there has to be there has to be something that you can't just say it's got to be this way or not there has to be some wiggle room to say if there is a reason that you can't have the vaccine you know you don't have to necessarily. You don't have to give the reason. I mean, I'm not saying you have to violate your HIPAA rights by giving out what is wrong. I mean, you might have a, you might have a, uh, an allergy to that disease. You may or that vaccine. You may have any number of things, uh, convictions against it. Like I said, moral or or religious convictions against taking the vaccine. You don't have to tell why. But if if you say, I do not want to take the vaccine, or I'm not going to take the vaccine. They have to offer some substitute for you. They can't just say, then you're fired. I I think that's wrong. I mean, I guess legally they might be able to get away with it because I think we are a right-to-work state so they can fire you for any reason. But morally, that's wrong. I'm not a big favor of the right-to-work state anyway. Um, I'm much more liberal on that issue than... A lot of my friends, but what I'm saying, it might be legal, but it's not moral to tell people who have gone to school and are professionals that they are not allowed to work unless they do something that they don't believe is ethically right, morally right, if it opposes their religion, if they have a health issue that that prevents them from taking this vaccine and i don't think they should be required to tell the reason why i think saying i'm not going to get vaccinated is enough they don't have to be in, they don't have, to have an attitude about it they don't have to curse out the guy telling them you need to get a vaccine but i think they should just be be able to say i'm not getting the vaccine oh, okay well then here's what we're going to do here's what we're going to do instead if, if you're not going to get the vaccine or if you can't get the vaccine here's what we're going to do um I think that's uh, reasonable. Because they are working around uh, s- uh, people who have sometimes are immunologically compromised. I don't know exactly how I can't remember exactly how that word's pronounced, but but you know, you're working around sick people. I don't think it's unreasonable to say we need some precaution, but to not give them a plan B to say you have to do it this way. Or it's the highway. Go find another job. It's just ridiculous. And I wanted to pass along this news that Spectrum employees are a, organizing a protest against the mandates this Friday from 3 to 5 in Lansing. So if you're interested in going, um, that is where you need to be. guess uh, with Spectrum Health, I would assume. Is that Spectrum Health in Lansing? Um, if you have any questions, find the Holmes Politicast and uh, ask them on there, on Twitter um, or on Facebook. Uh, if I can find out, if if you don't get an answer, if you don't get a response right away, then, then I can find out the answer. Um, so just letting you know about that. I mean, this is short of... A law which there isn't one right now to protect these workers. Um, this is your best option is to protest make your voice heard and uh, this is not something that the mainstream media is covering so don't think that you're gonna you're gonna um, hear about this on the news and, and everything if you're if you want to protect workers rights and you want to support the employees then you need to get your voice heard. you need to get out there it should be peaceful. But you need to make your voice heard. They need to see that this is not appropriate in the United States of America. Workers are valuable. Labor is valuable. And people who work at Spectrum Health have devoted years of sacrifice to be able to work there. I mean, you can't just walk in off the street and say, I'd like to get a job here. These people are professionals who have dedicated years of their life and lots of money to learn their craft. And they're good at what they do. If they're not good at what, you do, what they do, then 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 there's no problem. I mean, fire them because they're not they're not valuable employees. But if 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 they're good at what they do, and you want to keep them, then you need to have some options for them, or you're going to lose a lot of good workers, and you're going to end up with subpar uh, employees there, and people are going to die, and that's going to be on management's hands. If people die because you get a person who's a plumber getting a job working <laughs> at Spectrum mouth because you can't get any anybody else to work there because you fired them all because they wouldn't get because they didn't want the vaccine you know so you get to vaccinate a plumber or uh, you know or something working in there I mean how how good is that how, what's that going to do anyway don't mean to rant but I just find that absolutely stupid and idiotic that they would require not that they would require people to be healthy, but that they would offer no other options for an employee who might be opposed to being vaccinated or for health reasons cannot be vaccinated. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Um, here. I know there was one other topic I wanted to talk about, but I want to make sure that I did not miss um, anything before I jump into Oh, 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 one thing I did want to mention is about Governor Cuomo of New of New York is in quite some hot water. I guess the uh yeah, maybe he kept talking about how he wanted the attorney general to investigate these charges because they were unsubstantiated. There were allegations that he was oh oh uh, that he assaulted women made sexually explicit comments that he was made the women uncomfortable, created a hostile work environment. And he said he wanted the attorney general to look into the the allegations. And we, on this show, I mentioned at the time that I brought it to your attention. That was a topic that was being talked about, but I said, Hey, look, these are just allegations. And I don't want to just run with allegations because anyone can make an allegation about anything, anytime, anywhere. Um, so we have to see before we before we comment. And now the attorney general has released it and said yes, there are eleven credible sources. They interviewed hundreds of people, and there are eleven credible sources of harassment, of uh, of sexual harassment, of intimidation, of creating a hostile workplace, and things like this. And there are a number of people, including the president of the United States. In fact, the entire Structure of the Democratic Party. The President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, have both said he needs to resign. Nancy Pelosi has said he needs to resign. Chuck Schumer and um, Christian Gillibrand, both the senior, both senators from New York, have said he needs to resign. You've got members of the legislature saying he needs to resign. So there's a lot of pressure right now on that, and I feel confident telling you about it because this is now not just in alleged just some allegation that maybe a worker made that didn't like him. The attorney general said, we found credible evidence of this. Now I'm not going to really get into it because it's a different state. And I know the people of New York will be able to make that decision. I mean, I'm not going to get on here and tell you that I think he's a pervert and that he should be forced out of office if he doesn't resign. I mean, I'm not going to say that because it's not really my place. Uh, I'm not going to laugh about this man who got an Emmy Award for, uh, for his handling of the pandemic and got a book deal um, about how well he handled the pandemic when all these people in the nursing homes were dying. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that he's just a sick, perverted man who is like a mafioso who runs that office like a mafioso intimidating people if they talk out against him. No, I'm not going to say any of that because the people of New York are able to make that decision for themselves. But if I were going to say that, I would have a lot of things to say about Governor Cuomo. But I'm not. I'm a good person and I'm not going to weigh in on New York politics. But I will talk about Michigan politics and I and... The other host of our show on Friday was able to go see Garrett Saldano in Muskegon. Uh, he is a candidate, a Republican candidate for governor. He's uh, right now the black horse. He's raised more money than any of the candidates, but he is not supported by the Republican Party. The Republican Party has at this point Thrown their support behind James Craig, the former sheriff of Detroit, or the current sheriff of Detroit—I don't know. That's who they really want uh, right now. Now there may be other candidates who jump in later. That if 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 Sheriff Craig isn't doing as well, that they may try to bring in a heavy hitter like John James or uh, the. the head of the Republican Party, Ronald McDowell or Daniel, something like that. I don't know. She's Mitt Romney's niece or something. Um, And there has been talk about Betsy DeVos, the former um, education secretary. Um, None of which, in my opinion, would be good. Um, uh, Betsy DeVos is a a nightmare to me. Um, The other two, I'd have to see. And if they got the nomination, I might vote for them. I'm not saying I absolutely wouldn't, but Betsy DeVos, I, I would probably have to sit out the election because Betty, Betsy DeVos is, to me, uh, un, undignified, unelectable for a lot of reasons that we'll go into if she actually runs. I'm just not going to run her down before she even announces, but but Garrett Saldano, he is very personable, and we're not. I'm not going to endorse anybody, at least not right now. Maybe later on there might be an endorsement coming, but... Right now, it's too early. But um, I was really impressed, though. I will tell you that. I was really impressed with Garrett Saldano. Uh, he was very personable. We were at Dockers in Muskegon. And it's a, a fish. It's a, a little restaurant um, right on the dock, hence the name Dockers. And there were... I, I didn't do a headcount, but there were a lot of people there. I mean, I'm not talking like Thousands, but but there was a good number. It was a good turnout, and let me just say the people at Docs were amazing. I'll just I'll just say that the waiters and waitresses they put up with it, and they were very polite, very kind, very on the job. So I'd really recommend that place. But Mr. Saldano or Doctor Saldano, he's a chiropractor. Um, he came to every table before he made his speech. So his speech was a little bit um, late. Than we, later than we were expected, but he made a point of going to every table and taking pictures, shaking hands, answering questions. He was very, very personable, very likable. His wife was there as well. She also was a very nice lady, very respectful, very polite. <clears throat> and he was dressed semi-casual, which I thought was really cool. Like he, he wore a suit, a suit jacket, but he didn't have a tie, but he wore blue jeans, you know, so, but he looked respectful and it reminded me a lot of honestly, a lot when I was a kid in Montana, because that's how a lot of Montanans, Montanians, and people in the West dress, they wear a suit jacket, but you know, the of times just wear their blue jeans around. They just, you know, they don't, they don't wear slacks or, you know, things like that. Um, but, you know, he answered questions and he was very personable and he gave a speech and um, it was very informal. It didn't like it was. He didn't have a presentation. There wasn't a podium where he was reading a speech that he had um, written. <clears throat> it was uh, similar, I would say, to Donald Trump's speech in the sense that he just spoke extemporaneously. That's a term we use in speech class. I remember it's where you speak. You might have notes, but you but you speak off the cuff. It's a, it's a fancy word for saying off the cuff. Many politicians have a very rehearsed written speech <coughs> that they don't deviate from. He just spoke off the cuff, and you know, for about 15 minutes, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't counting the amount of time because I was really impressed. And then, even though he'd already gone table to table, he answered questions from the audience. He took questions. And I, I get the feeling he would have been there all night if he could have, but we were there about one and a half, two hours. I can't remember exactly what time it started, but, but they'd only requested the room from dockers until five o'clock. So at five o'clock they were respectful, but they, you know, they made clear that they needed to open up the whole dining area because five o'clock had come. And so that was the only reason we stopped. And he went out to take pictures at his, uh, I wouldn't say it's a van, but it was a, a truck. And he took more photos and he answered questions out there in the parking lot. And and he had done this. I had seen his itinerary. He had done this at several other places that day. This wasn't like his only event. He decided to come, come to Muskegon and do an event. He was... In Holland earlier in that day, several other places. So I will say that I was very, very impressed by his charisma, his personality, his eagerness to answer questions. I'm usually a pretty good – I'm usually pretty good at being able to read people. It's sometimes what I like to call my superhero power. I can read people really well. I can, I can kind of tell when people are lying to me. I can tell when they're not telling the absolute truth and I can tell if they're being sincere, you know, and there's a lot of politicians that I listen to that aren't sincere and I know it. And sometimes that's what you, you have to take it what you get. I mean, sometimes you get a candidate that's unsincere, but you believe in what they believe in. You have to vote for them anyway, even though I don't really like them very much. Um, Dr. Saldano seemed legitimate. He seemed, he doesn't seem like he's got a different personality among his friends or with his family than he did with us. Like, he wasn't putting on a show. And he seemed to understand the issues. It wasn't just, I, I was worried that because he really wants to open Michigan up, I was really concerned that he'd be a one trick pony. That would be his only issue. That if you ask him about, you know, pipeline um in the upper peninsula if you asked him about the flint water crisis if you asked him about you know jobs if you asked him about anything else the roads he'd be like uh well i haven't really looked into that too much i'm not really sure where i stand um i was afraid but he seemed really open on the issues and if he didn't have an answer which i mean sometimes you just don't there's just some issues that the people bring up that you don't he's willing to say I'm not sure, but I'll get back to you. I'll find out about that. Which, I mean, which I don't mind every once in a while. I mean, if you get a candidate who just stands up there the whole time like, I don't know about that. Um, I'm not really sure about that one. Uh, I don't I haven't really studied that one out. Mm, Yeah, I've not really thought about that. Then, yeah, I'd be concerned. But if every once in a while you stump them and they say, I'll look into it, I think that's admirable. You don't just make up something and just hope that people don't notice which there are a lot of candidates who will try to gaslight the people. If they don't know the answer, they'll just give you gibberish and, you know, um, speak out of both sides of the mouth, you know, and and make you think that they answered the question when they really didn't. Um, Again, I'm not going to say who it is, but there are a lot of candidates that I see on TV. I'm not going to trash people right now, but there are a lot of candidates that I'll, I'll watch them and I'll rate how they answer the question. And sometimes They just give you a word salad. They don't actually answer the question. They kind of pivot a little bit and talk about something else. And, you know, it's really, you know, they'll say something like, that's a really good question. But also one of the broader things that I want to focus on is, and they'll talk about something entirely different or a broader issue instead of answering a question because they don't have an answer for that question. Or they know if they answer the question, they will lose voters. They'll have to take a stand on something that might, harm them politically so they don't want to talk about it the bigger issue here i think it's part of a bigger problem they'll say you know i I think the bigger issue here or it's it's not just simply to answer that problem the the bigger issue that we have to address is this and they won't answer it and i liked about dr sildano is that he actually answered the questions and was honest and open and like i said I, i might sound like i'm endorsing him now I didn't hear anything that that made me say, uh-oh, I have concerns. That may come. So that's why I'm not ready to endorse him because I want to see who else jumps in the race. And I want to give it a little bit of time because, you know, he could have been having a good day. And maybe and maybe the rest of the campaign will be a disaster. And I'll be like, ooh, he isn't who I thought he was. I, you know, I saw him on a good day, and he actually ends up not being that good of a candidate. Uh, we have to see. So I'm not endorsing anybody. But I would encourage you to check out Garrett now. Check out all of our candidates um, on the Republican side. And I, I don't say that to be partisan. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm more conservative. So, But I, I don't want you to think that I don't you know, want you to research Governor Whitmer. I think you should. I think you should research her and see what she really stands for and things. But I'm just saying you don't need to spend as much time because she's virtually running unopposed. I heard a rumor that there might be somebody who opposes her. But I think she's pretty much set to get the nomination. So you don't need to spend as much time on Governor Whitmer because you can just watch her and see what she does in office. You don't need to really read a lot about what her speeches are or what she says. You just look at the record and see what she's done and say, do I want four more years of that? So on the Republican side, there are other candidates who, um, I personally am not a big fan of Sheriff Craig, but hey, you might be. And you you might read up on him and say, this is just the guy I want. There's also the Tudor Dixon. Um, she's a talk show host. She's also running. As far as I know, those are the only three on the Republican side. Those are the only three I can think of offhand. So check them out. See what they have to say. Maybe, you know, maybe you'll disagree with me and might find another candidate that you think is much better for Michigan. And that's, that's perfectly right. I'm not here to tell you who you have to vote for, who you should vote for. I'm just telling you my opinion. I didn't see anything, I haven't seen anything yet that makes me cautious. Um, and I am willing to go see the other candidates. I mean, as as you know, several weeks ago, I went and saw Governor Whitmer when she was in Grand Haven. And you know, I'm not I'm not totally shutting my ears and saying. You know, I've already made up my mind. I'm willing to listen to all the candidates and hear what they have to say and and so you know if I hear about Sheriff Craig or Tudor Dixon being in our area, um, I'm will, I'm more than happy to go see them and tell you my opinion of their of their uh, of their, uh, their their event. you know I'm not going to drive all the way to Detroit probably or the Upper Peninsula to see them speak. I'm hoping that they'll come to West Michigan. And I can see them. But, you know, because we do the show on a, sh- a shoestring budget. I mean, it's not like we have unlimited money where we can travel all over the country and and everything. So if they're in this area, I'm, I'm more than happy to go see them and give you my opinion of them as well. You know, I might be blown away by Sheriff Craig. You know, right now I just, I'm not a big fan, but hey, I might go to one of those events and be like, I'm on the Craig train, whatever. Uh, but, you know, anyway... I'm just giving you my opinion. I thought Garrett Saldano held himself very well. He was a very good candidate. And uh, I'd love to cover another one of his events because it was it was a lot of fun. Um, so anyway, that's our show for this week. Um, remember about the protest in Lansing from 3 to 5 at Spectrum Health. And uh, hope everyone has a great week. And we'll see you here real soon. Bye, everyone.